0: God uses infinity ways to draw us closer to Him, but occasionally a single event can catapult our faith journey forward. A birth, a death, a gain, a loss, a chance meeting, an unexpected no-show. Although a surprise to us, a pivotal circumstance just might be the thing that God was planning on using to pull us closer and push us forward in the most meaningful way. That's today on the podcast. Hey, it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thank you so much for listening in to our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast blesses you and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know so that they'll feel blessed too. This is the final week of our sermon series about five things God uses to grow our faith. And of course, God uses many things in many ways, but people can often summarize a growth spurt in their faith from these five things. Practical teaching, meaningful relationships, private discipline, personal ministry. And then this week, the fifth is pivotal circumstances, events and sudden changes in our life that are drastic and life altering. On this Super Bowl Sunday, Pastor Jason sets out to tackle some of the hardest questions we encounter in our faith journey as we find ourselves in these pivotal circumstances and how our response can reshape our whole journey. Let's check it out right now.
1: Well, I hope that you have gotten a lot out of this sermon series Five Things God Uses to Grow Your Faith. Today is the final installment. So if this is your first day here, I'm so sorry. But I promise this will make sense, even if this is your first day. And I uh, also want to remind you that if you missed any in this series, we have it available everywhere. So you can go to our website, TowerHillChurch.org. You can find all the sermons there. We, uh, it's in podcast form, so if you like to listen to podcasts, you can subscribe on iTunes or however you listen to podcasts. And you can get it on the church app. So really, there's no excuse. Uh <laughs> Well, this today, uh, we've been talking about this uh, over the last month, and it's this whole idea that God uses things to help us grow in our faith. And we know that God uses lots of things. We could say God uses infinity things to grow our faith, but these five things are things that keep showing up in people's faith story. Where somebody says, you know what really grew me close to Jesus? Well, it's one of these five things, or many of these five things. Not just once, but often throughout the course of my faith journey. And so let's just kind of, you know, the whole point of this was, what would it look like if we had more confidence in God? That's the purpose of the five things. What would your life look like if you had more confidence in God? Would your relationships be different? Would your view of your job be different? Would your circumstances that you're facing feel different? Yeah. If you had complete trust that God was going to come through in every area of your life, your life would be different. And so how do we allow God to leverage these things so that we can get there? So that we maybe through the course of this year can grow even just a little bit in our confidence and faith in God. So we went through the five things. Anybody remember what they all are? Of course you don't. Here they are. <laughs> it's a lot to think about. But at least they're all P's, so you've got to fight and chance. Practical teaching. We talked about how you've got to be in a place where you're getting practical teaching. Otherwise, you're, if you can't take the timeless truth of Jesus Christ, the Word of Christ, and land it in your everyday life, it's never going to work for you. So practical teaching is huge. The second, providential relationships. How God puts people in our lives at specific times. To grow us in our faith. The third, private disciplines. Prayer, Bible study, devotional time. These are things God uses to grow our faith. And then four, personal ministry. We talked about last week. Is that you don't have to be an ordained minister to have a ministry. In fact, God's plan A for bringing the world to Jesus Christ is you. You are his plan A. Actually, it's it's even more pressure than that. You are his only plan. There is no plan B. And so we have to figure out what is our thing, what is our ministry that we have to offer God's kingdom. And then today, five, we're talking about pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances. So let's unpack that a little bit. What is a pivotal circumstance? It is something that happens that reengages me with God. Something that happens that re-engages me with God. Maybe like the number one that I see the most uh, is when somebody has a new baby. Right? Baby's born. I mean, my gosh, I remember when our first was born. It was traumatic when we got home for for me. Because, you know, you kind of have that euphoria of, you know, the new baby. And you're so happy and uh, you just got all these emotions spilling out everywhere, uh, and you go home, and I remember it was like, we were home for about 20 minutes with Katie, and I'm like, what do we do? There's, there's no nurse. What do we do? There's no nurse. There's no nurse. First of all, there's no nurse to take her away, and there's no nurse to like, what if something goes wrong? And then, you know, well, I guess she needs to eat and to sleep and to be changed. Okay, where's that baby book? <laughs> All of a sudden I got really interested in the baby books. But this kind of fear comes over you. And then the other thing that happens is, I know this happens for a lot of people is, what do we, I don't know what to do. I think we should take it to church. <laughs> like, I don't know, I, I think uh, we ought to get a baptized. Should we get a baptized? Yeah, I, th- I, think that's, I think we ought to get baptized. Okay, what do we do? I don't know, do you go to church? Well, no. But you know what that does? It's an opportunity. It's a pivotal circumstance that reengages you with God. And so, for that, I love it. I love that that happens. I love that parents panic and don't know what to do and they think to go to church. That's awesome. So, there are ways, there are things that happen, pivotal circumstances like that, that push us or reengage us in our relationship with God. Because I know for a lot of people, They go to confirmation. How many of you were in confirmation of one kind or another? Any denomination? Yep. So go to confirmation. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for the next one. But then that was sort of like graduation. Like then you kind of disengaged from the life of the church. And it takes something like getting married, having a baby to kind of reengage you and bring you back. But that's not the number one thing. That's not the number one pivotal circumstance that brings people to God. Actually the number one by far. Is a painful event. It's a personal crisis. Will re-engage you with faith. Because isn't that true how it goes. You know life, life's going along. And feeling pretty good about things. When things are good. It's kind of like yeah man. Life's good. And we could sort of ignore. That part of ourselves that knows that we ought to re-engage with God. Ah, but things are good. And then something happens. Somebody gets sick. We lose our job. We have a falling out with our spouse. We have a falling out with our friend. And, and then we're all ears. God, and some of these prayers are really desperate. God, if you're even there at all, we say, help me through. This crisis, help me through this time. And God actually uses our pain, or can use our pain, to draw us closer to him. It also could work the other way. We could decide that because that pain merely exists, then God must not care. God does not, is not looking out for the best for me. Or God is not there you know, at all, does not exist. And we run away from faith because of that personal crisis. We're going to talk a bit about this. And it may feel like it's kind of hitting somewhere close to home. That's okay. Just let, it, just let it do that. Because I think if we don't get intellectually get around this idea of bad things happening, we can't really 100% be able to follow Jesus. Because we always got that piece about us like, that's doubting. So let's take a look at that. You know, it was C.S. Lewis who said this in The Problem of Pain, which is an incredible, incredible book. Um, We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. There's something about pain that requires our attention. And sometimes the only way we pay attention to God is through pain. This brings up bigger questions that we're going to get to toward the end. But I want to jump into a very familiar story. And I want you to engage it with your heart, not necessarily your intellect. In other words, I want you to engage it to feel the emotions of what are going on in the story. And this is the story of Lazarus. The story where Jesus actually raises Lazarus from the dead. But before he does that, there is a personal crisis that happens with Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters. And Lazarus, call that a personal crisis. And there's a, a lot between the lines that I want you to pay attention to as we get into this story because I think it sums up our experience of wondering where the heck is God in our time of pain. So let's go to John chapter 11. We're going to start with verse 3. So the sisters, that's Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I think it's important to remember Jesus had a very close relationship with them. It wasn't a random stranger that they were looking to have him heal. This was a close, close friend. Mary Martha Lazarus. He was very close with them. The one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick. Now stop right there. When he heard that Lazarus was sick. Ignore the rest up there for a second. How do you think, if you're just hearing this and not reading it, how would you think that sentence would end? When he heard that Lazarus was sick, I would think like he immediately got up and went there. Why? Because he loved them. He had to be with them, he had to do something about it. But that's not what happens. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Just allow yourself to digest that for a minute. There's no doubt Jesus loved them. But he intentionally chose to delay going to them. What sort of emotions do you think Mary and Martha were experiencing when they heard this? Probably anger. At the very least, emotionally wounded. I thought you loved us, Jesus. Where were you? Maybe you can relate to that. I thought you loved me, Jesus. Why did you let this happen? Why didn't you show up right away? Where are you? What is taking you so long? I got to get through this pain, Jesus. When are you going to be here? I thought you loved me. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But, Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back? Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble. For they have no light. Now this is interesting. you right in the middle of this situation. Jesus kind of goes all philosophical for a second. And they're like, what? What exactly? He's reminding them, he is the light. He is the one. You need to trust that he still knows what he's doing. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So when he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. That somehow, Jesus has a greater purpose, a God-sized purpose, that we humans don't really understand. We don't get why. Why is God's timing the way it is? Why isn't it the way that we think it should be? Because there's something God is doing that we can't possibly fathom. And that's where the trust comes in. So he arrives there, and imagine what Mary and Martha are feeling right now. Martha sort of lets him have it, a little bit. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. you got to think that there was some emotion in that. If you had only been here, what took you so long? Why are you showing up now? It's too late. But here's the key. And this is the key for all of us who are experiencing pain or struggling through moments like this. You see Martha's faith shine through it. It doesn't take away your hurt, but you see it shine through it. She finishes that sentence. Watch what she says next. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I know even though it worked out this way, I know somehow, some way, you're going to do what only you can do through this situation. I, there's no way she thought he was going to raise him from the dead. No way. That is not something that they had seen or even heard of. We all know how the story ends, but they, they got to think the story ended. But that Jesus somehow was going to use this moment That was incredible faith on her part. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And you could know, she didn't know it was like right now, literally rise again. She was thinking, well, at the end, at the great resurrection. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And here's the part. Now listen, the whole problem of pain and why do bad things happen to good people and everything. Like I'm not going to be able to just give you a couple sentences, of, you know, a little tweet. There you go. Like this as I said, this is a deep well. This hits us in our deepest doubt and anxiety and fear. It hits us right in our deepest faith. It's, there's a lot to unpack. But hopefully I'll help give you a lens through which to do it. Or I'll, I'll give you a, a framework to do the unpacking. But one thing I do know is that Jesus, even though he knows this is going to end in resurrection. When they go to that tomb, it says here in verse 35, Jesus wept. Everybody's outside that tomb grieving and weeping. And all I know is, even though Jesus knows how it's going to end, he still is overcome with emotion. And to me... This is like the big difference between Christianity, between following Jesus and following any other religion, is that God is not God at a distance. God is a God that, even though He knows how your life is going to unfold, He knows how it's going to end, it doesn't stop Him from feeling the deepest empathy for what you're going through. Jesus weeps when we weep. Jesus is distraught when we're distraught. He's sad when we're sad. He feels what we're feeling. And he is there to be with us, to weep along with us in the face of pain and tragedy. That's the kind of God that we believe in. Not like this kind of divine butler that exists whenever we have a problem. Hello, garçon. Could you please take care of this? Thank you so much. You're beautiful. But no, this is a God who says, I truly feel Your pain. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Man, this this is almost word for word what we say when God doesn't show up in a tragedy or in a circumstance that we're going through. Could not he who healed the blind man, who did all those miracles, why couldn't he show up for me? Why couldn't he show up when I needed a miracle? We might even resent God for that. When my mom was dying, dying of cancer, and... uh, she had uh, had multiple sclerosis as well and and diabetes, all three at the same time and um, she was in a wheelchair most of her adult life and uh a lot of you who know my story know that you know I had a really broken, dysfunctional stepdad and when my mom was sick and when she died i I had some dark thoughts like. Why couldn't she get the miracle? I'll be honest with you. I had a thought that I'm not proud of, but I thought, why couldn't it have been my stepdad instead? These are the kinds of things that can rattle us to our core. Jesus, you could do anything. Why would you allow this? And I think we just have to get honest about it. Because if you can't work your way through it, you're always going to be stuck in your faith. You're not going to quite trust Jesus enough. Because you think he's not going to show up. Working through this on the other end is complete confidence in God. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for it has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I can only imagine Martha's like, Yeah, but I didn't think now. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. That's not just a nice bow on the end of the story. Look what just happened. Because Jesus waited, a whole community believed in him. Because Jesus waited, something happened that nobody saw coming. You know, of all of the miracles in the New Testament, this is the one that uh, actually even skeptics say it, everybody believed it happened. That Lazarus was raised from the dead, or at least what a skeptic would say is the people believed he was raised from the dead. Because th- everybody was so freaked out, that's when they decided to ar- that they were going to plan to arrest Jesus. Because they were so freaked out by this miracle he actually raised somebody from the dead. There are a couple of tough questions here. And the answers to these are a little above my pay grade. But again, let me give you, give you a framework. The first question that comes up is, is pain God's will? Isn't this great? This is, this is a nice topic. Nice light topic for Super Bowl Sunday. Right? <laughs> it's just how it happened. I, just how it happened. Sorry, this is like whoa. Not exactly. Is pain God's will? Or would you or would you say, is tragedy God's will? These are so important. Let me just give you a starter, a primer on this whole idea. On the one hand, you would have to say yes, in the sense of God allows a broken world to continue to be broken where pain and tragedy do, can and do happen? Yes. Does God will us personal tragedy? Like, is he like, and you're going to get this, and you this, and, you know, you haven't been to church lately. Time for a sickness. You laugh, but people believe this. Like, that I got sick because I wasn't faithful. Here's what I know. Our God is the God of life. He's always trending toward life. In fact, he gave his life to put death to death forever. So I don't think God's like actively willing, and you're going to die, and you're going to die. He allows the broken world to be broken. People get cancer. Some people get better. Some people don't. Bad things happen. Some people who live healthy die young, and some people who live unhealthy live forever, it seems. It's the broken world and all of its brokenness is there. But here's what he promises. That he will not just be God at a distance. He is God with us. And what he can do is, he can take any pain and any tragedy and redeem it. He could leverage it to re-engage you with him. To grow your confidence even in the face of the pain. Even in the where were you, Jesus? To be saying, yeah, but I know that you know what you're doing. Even though I'm feeling this personal loss that hurts so bad. I know, God, that you're hurting with me. Maybe you're even weeping with me. And that you, because you are who you are, you could take this pain of mind. And maybe a whole community can come to faith as a result. So what makes a pivotal circumstance a pivotal circumstance toward God and not away from God? It's our response to it. Our response is the difference. Because how do we respond? It's either, well, God is doing this to me or God's gonna do something in me. Author Philip Yancey puts it this way. He says, the only thing worse than disappointment with God is disappointment without God. Either way, in this life, which is broken, we will experience disappointment. We will experience pain. But it's better to experience it with God than without. And so as we go now into the rest of our 2019, I pray that We allow God to leverage these five things to grow us closer to him, to build more confidence in our faith. Amen.